grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Happy New Year. It's hard to believe, but the first week of 2024 is almost over. It's time to wake up and live life because it's going by, isn't it? <laughs> it's a blessing and privilege that we have to begin our week together in worship. And so let us be called together to worship as we read responsively from the first psalm. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Friends, let us worship God. Jesus declared, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. This is the voice of love calling us to lay down our burdens and move forward in love. Let's go to God together in confession. Merciful God, 
You made us in your image with a mind to know you, a heart to love you, and a will to serve you. But our knowledge is imperfect, our love inconstant, our obedience incomplete. Day by day we fail to grow into your likeness, yet you are slow to be angry with your children. For the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, do not hold our sins against us, but in your tender love forgive, and then fill us with your Spirit, that we may follow you into abundant life. Amen. Hear us, O God, as we come to you now with our personal prayers of confession. Amen. The prophet Isaiah reminds us of God's commitment to our forgiveness. I alone am the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. We are more than forgiven. Our sins are blotted out of divine memory. For I declare to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, friends, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. the peace of Christ be with you. Friends, before we greet one another, we'd like to remind you that our fifth grade and younger will meet their Sunday school leaders in the back and go off to their Sunday school class. And now let's turn and greet one another with a holy good morning. I think it's a great way to start the new year by coming to church so that you can hug people. Don't you think that's a great way to start the new year? Absolutely. For some of us, that's the only reason we come to church, but there you go. <laughs> well, friends, we are, of course, at the beginning of a new year, and that means several things for us. Uh, first of all, that all of our regular programming, so to speak, our Bible studies, our groups and organizations that have gone quiet during the holiday season are now back in, uh, in full force uh, this coming week. So if you're part of those things or want to be part of those, uh, please plan on participating beginning this week. Just two weeks from today, though, I want to make you very aware of a very special opportunity. 
25 years ago, our session, our governing board, adopted a four-word phrase that has become, in a sense, the motto of this congregation, following Jesus for life. And beginning on the 21st of January, following this worship service, we're going to be offering a six-week seminar that is designed to help us think very intentionally and clearly and carefully about how we follow Jesus for life. Now, we can say that everything that goes on in this church is meant to teach us how to follow. It's meant to give us an opportunity to follow, to practice our following so that we actually can follow Jesus out there in the real world. But this is now an opportunity to gather together to think deeply about what that means and what it involves. So I would invite you, beginning January 21st and continuing through the 28th of February, to become part of this experience. We will be offering a light lunch and then having a brief video and then conversation primarily with yours truly and all of the others who are involved in the class. If you'd like to register for that, and we very much would love to know that you're planning to come, please go online and you can register there. And in that way, we would encourage you to begin this new year with a very uh, intentional and exciting and we hope fulfilling experience of learning more about how to follow Jesus. Just a couple of other notes as we worship. We have some beautiful flowers with us in worship today that celebrate the life of Dr. David Cho. There's more about David in the, uh, the bulletin at the end of the worship order. But I would not only want to celebrate his life, but then uh, remind all of us that we have an opportunity to place the flowers here in the sanctuary, to remember someone that we love, to celebrate someone that we love, or simply to provide the flowers and provide some beauty in our worship. So if you'd like to do that for a coming Sunday, please give us a call at the church or drop us an email and we'll let you know about, more about how to do that. The other thing that I need to tell you about is that we are looking for a few folks who would volunteer to come into the sanctuary sometime during the week between worship services to help straighten everything up for our next worship. Uh, we have discovered over the years uh, that sometimes folks leave things in the pews or leave things a bit askew. I don't know, uh, Juan, we found, you know, pizza crust. We found <laughs> beer cans. We found, we found all kinds of things out there in the pew. I know, I know, JP, we're working on that. There we go. <laughs> uh, there we go. <laughs> At any rate, we want to have our worship space a beautiful and welcoming place to honor God. And if you'd be able to help us prepare in that way, we would love to have you volunteer. So there is something uh, that we also are called to volunteer for in a way, but we also are commanded by the Lord because it's good for us. God commands us to take some of what he has given to us and turn right around and give it back to him. That's a way of our proving to ourselves, first and foremost, and then to the Lord, that we worship not the things that we have, but we worship the God who gives them. This one, Andrew. There we go. Talk more. Talk more. Ter test, one, two, three. Dearly beloved, test, test, test. Okay, we're going to my voice now. <clears throat> Obviously, we need an offering for new batteries, but it sounds good. Well, as this next musical piece is being performed, we would invite you to respond generously with the gift of yourself as the ushers wait upon us as we present our tithes and offerings to God. 
Please be seated. We need not worry about what has come before or what is coming after. It will do no good. All we can do is be present to this moment and as God prepares our hearts, our minds, and our lives to do his will. So let's come to God present to the moment in prayer. Oh God, your voice, your voice filled the emptiness, the vast nothing with the song of creation. And in the very timber of your call, love became known to us. Your holy love that breaks no promise, your divine love whose foundation is fierce commitment and steadfast love and trust. You who define love by your very being, our hearts are overwhelmed with gratitude that you, O Holy One, are the imagineer of all goodness and beauty and justice and hope. You breathed us into being and in your holy exhale, we received the gift of your image. And by your design, we flourish within the incubator of love and mercy. And we thrive when serving your purpose. And we draw close to you when we draw close to one another. God, help us to realign ourselves with your true self because we have become broken and misshaped. We have forgotten the sweet scent of your breathed image and mutated into an acceptance of horror. We're brokenhearted with the continuing deaths and destruction of our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. And we feel desperate and conflicted with how to help our friends and family in the Ukraine. We are overwhelmed by the poverty of so many in our own country. Bombs exploding and innocence decimated, hunger and negligence prowl and devour as our most lethal and inhumane plagues. But, oh God, above the cries of suffering and death and beyond the noise of terror and destruction and outside of the rhetoric of hate and division, let your song be on our lips, lifting and soaring and life-giving. Help our arms to reach into the rubble and find life and all oh, the joy of one lost found soul, one belly filled, one captive freed. Empower us to use whatever we have, whenever we can, to make a difference in your name, to care with our whole selves. And remind us, Lord, with, with the vastness of the sea and the eternity of stars and galaxies yet undiscovered, that all of this, past and present and future, all that we know and cherish and hope for is wrapped into the first note of your song, and that note is love. And what you ask of us is to trust steadily in you, to hope unswervingly, and to love extravagantly. But the greatest of these is love. Hear us, O oh God, as we pour out our life to you, as we lift up our prayers to you in one voice with the prayer that your Son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love I am I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain
This morning's familiar scripture reading proclaims the good news from the gospel according to John the Apostle. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light, and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Christmas Eve worship was two weeks ago now. Hard to believe, especially for those of us who have mostly slept since then. (laughs) I've been thinking about our Christmas Eve worship, believe it or not, because we always end that worship service with one particular scripture reading that is, I believe, one of the very most famous, most often quoted, most often used passages from the entire Bible. I believe that we've been using that particular passage for longer than the 25 years that I've been here, but I feel very confident in saying For at least a quarter of a century, we've used that particular passage, along with several others, of course, that tell the story of Christmas. Now, I want to focus for just a moment on famous passages of Scripture, those passages that we all memorize, that we all like to quote back and forth to each other, those passages that that perhaps encapsulate or express in beautiful and profound language the truths that we hold most dear about Christian faith. I am calling such passages as these pillars of life. Pillars of life. Now, all of you know what a pillar is. In fact, we are, we are surrounded by eight pillars right now. Maybe you've never really paid attention to that, but 
Just as God was here at the foundation and beginning of the world, I and many of us were here at the beginning and foundation of this sanctuary. <laughs> eight pillars, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Those pillars that support the whole weight of this church go down beneath the ground about 10 feet. They weigh many, many tons, each one of them, because they are concrete that encases hundreds of steel bars that then hold the weight of this tile roof above us and hold the whole sanctuary together. What are the pillars of life? What are those foundational, most important, strongest things that inform our life and especially our faith? We read from one of those passages that is a pillar of our faith on Christmas Eve. And to continue our life together now, we will for the next six weeks, focus on six other famous, profound, often used scripture passages, passages that perhaps you have memorized over time. In a sense, even though we've celebrated the beginning of a new year with January 1st, for Christians, our year actually began as we began the celebration of the birth of Christ with Advent and then Christmas. And so we're really just continuing that story about Jesus. We're continuing the story as we celebrated the arrival of Pick your name, the wise men, the magi, the three kings, whatever you want to call them. The guys who showed up a while after Jesus was born, the Gentiles who showed up so that they could see the light of Christ, the light of God that had come into the world. We celebrated that light musically a few moments ago. That's what January 6th is all about. For those of you who pay attention to a liturgical calendar, the gift of the light of God into the world on January 6th. It is that light that we point toward in our Christmas Eve services when we read that famous passage. And many of you already know the passage that I'm speaking about, a passage not from the third chapter of the gospel according to John, but from the first chapter, a passage that goes in part this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. It is God, the only son, who is close to the father's heart, who has made him known. We believe that in Jesus Christ, we get to know God and so we turn today to another famous passage, words not of John, but words of Jesus himself, as he explained to one of the most intelligent, one of the most educated, one of the most faithful, one of the most important people in Jewish society of his day, the man named Nicodemus. 
Jesus has been born. Jesus has grown up. Jesus has started preaching and teaching and healing and performing miracles and doing all sorts of things that point to the fact that there's something special about him. And so Nicodemus wants to know what Jesus is all about at night so that they can have a private and quiet conversation. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, what is up with you? That's the literal translation of the Greek, by the way. What is up with you? (laughs) And in his conversation then, in his answering Nicodemus' question, Jesus gives us some language that we have latched onto, some language that we have memorized, some language that has informed the church for century after century after century. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. At the outset, we need to acknowledge that scriptures such as this one present a problem to us, especially to those of us who have spent some time with the scriptures already. There are More people in the world today than not, but more people in the world who've never heard this passage, and many who you think would have heard this passage perhaps have only heard it in passing, and so they don't have the problem that most of us have when we think we know what the passage is about. Most of us have lived with this passage for a long time, and the problem is that we think we know what it says, and we do, of course, but we don't. One of the problems of being very familiar with the Scripture is that we tend to come to a particular conclusion about what that Scripture says, and we often forget other things that it says, or we have looked at the Scripture from one point of view and not many points of view, or we've looked at the Scripture and learned it when we were five years old or ten years old, but now we're 800 years old, and from the perspective of many, many years, you see things differently. And so that's going to be a challenge for so many of us in this room and listening online to listen again as if we've never heard this passage or any of the others that we're going to look at. And so what does John 3.16 really say? Let's think about that a moment. Here is what John 3.16 says. It says, first of all, God. God. So many of us begin life by thinking about us. (laughs) And that's human. I I happen to be human too. I know what your human life is like because I have a human life and all life begins with me. The universe is centered on me. Everything revolves around me. You thought it was you? No, it's not you. It's me. (laughs) Right? No, it's not me. It's not you. It's God. Everything exists because of God. Everything has its being because of God, including we human beings. And so we begin with God. Jesus is getting ready to tell Nicodemus something about God. Not just that God is, but that God loves the world. God 
loves the world. How many times have you and I thought we knew what God wanted and what God wanted was for us to stop doing bad things or else he would send us to hell? How many of us have thought about our faith as God wants you to stop doing bad things and by the way, you do more bad things than I do so you really are going to hell? Now, there's a lot to talk about there, but the first thing that Jesus says to Nicodemus is not that God hates, not that God condemns, not that God judges, not that God is just waiting up there to catch us in some little minor infraction so he can throw the book at us. God loved the world so much. God loves everything that you and I can say about God, everything that we can know about God, everything we can believe about God, everything that we can understand about how we are meant to live our lives by the way that the God who made us would have us live it begins with love. God loves the world. Now, notice what happens when God loves. God does. I just now thought of that. That rhymes, doesn't it? God loves and so God does. God does. God loves the world so much that what did he do? He gave. So many of us think about love as if it is just an emotion, right? I love you so much. That's great. Emotion is a wonderful, beautiful thing, but emotion is not the only thing we can describe when we describe love, we had a beautiful rendition of 1 Corinthians 13, right? Am I right? That's where that song came from? Yeah, I'm a Bible scholar. I know these things, <laughs> right? Love is patient and kind, never jealous or angry or arrogant or boastful or rude. Love is, love is something that does something. God does something because God loves. God gives. And what does God give? God gives the gift of himself. Himself. Now, there's all kinds of conversation to be had about what it means that Jesus is the Son of God, that God is the Father, all that kind of stuff. We can't have that whole conversation here. But we know at least this, we know at least this much, and we must say at least this much, that God gives himself when he gives his Son. Every parent worth their salt knows that their child is someone from them, of them, more dear to them than they themselves are. God gives himself in Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus born of Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And that's what Christianity is about. I have lots of conversations with people who are unclear about what Christianity is about. Well, it's right there in the name that we've given to ourselves, Christ. Christianity is about Christ. Yes, we can and we should have all kinds of conversations with people who have other faiths. That's vitally important. It's productive. It's something Jesus himself would do. 
but we have to say that we Christians believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Everything that Christians say, everything that we believe, everything that we do must go through Jesus if we are to understand what Christianity is. And so God loves the whole world, not just part of it, by the way, not just my little piece, not just your little piece, not just the piece that I like, but also the piece that I don't like. God loves the whole world so much that he has given his only son, he has given himself so that all who believe in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Well, right there is where I think in the modern Western, especially American Christian world, we run into both a beautiful, beautiful affirmation of truth, but also a problem. When most people learn and recite first, uh, John 3, 16, what we think it's about is this. What we've been told it's about is this that you better believe in Jesus if you want to go to heaven. That's what we think. You better believe in Jesus if you want to go to heaven. And yes, that is at least part, and it's a big part, but that's part of what John 3.16 says. Believe in Jesus. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, we've come to understand that that we must make up our minds and make a mental, intellectual decision that somehow or other is tied to the heart that says, yes, Jesus is who the church says he is. Jesus is who he said he was. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of living, the living God. He is the Savior. He is the pathway into life, abundant life and eternal life. He is all those things. All of those things are true. And yet... There is more to this passage than mere believing. Believing, we think, is a mental exercise. I believe in Jesus, and that's great. But there's more to believing than just believing, mere mental assent. And here's where you and I need to grow up in our understanding of how to interpret Scripture and realize that we cannot take John 3.16 all by itself. There is no single passage of Scripture. There is no single statement of Christian truth that can be taken all by itself that says everything that needs to be said. And so we have to keep reading we have to keep reading. Now, I know it's hard to memorize a whole lot more words than just that one passage. <laughs> but we need to keep reading. What does the rest of the passage say? Well, listen to it. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And further, but those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. As soon as Jesus says to Nicodemus, you need to believe in me, Jesus also says to Nicodemus, you need to believe me. You need to come to the light. 
You need to live a life that expresses the light that is in you and not a life that expresses the darkness from which you are coming. Here's the truth. The truth is that Christian faith is both believing in Jesus, saying, yeah, Jesus is my Savior. He's the way to get to God, all that good kind of stuff. But then you got to do what Jesus said to do or else you don't really believe who Jesus is. All the scriptures say that if you take them all as a whole. Believing that does not result in doing is not believing. Doing is what reveals believing. Doing love belies a believing that moves toward the light, the light that is in Christ Jesus. And in fact, in many other ways, in in his life, in his teaching, and in the rest of the New Testament, we encounter the idea that sometimes people don't believe in Jesus, but they still love other people. And Jesus actually responded more positively to those kinds of folks than he did to the kinds of folks who said they believed, but that didn't love. Every story in the scripture, Jesus is interested in what a person is doing with their life because what they're doing tells you what they're believing. They can say with their lips that they believe something, but you know that they believe it only because of what they do. And so some believers actually stay in the darkness and some non-believers actually move toward the light. And I would propose to you that those who do love are those who actually believe. And so when we quote John 3:16 to each other as a way of proving that you have to sign on a dotted line somewhere that Jesus is the Christ and that's all you got to do, then we have only received half of the truth of scripture. We haven't listened to everything that Jesus has said. We are called to act on our belief. We are called to test our belief and say, if I really do believe, then I will do something. We don't do it perfectly, of course. Nobody ever does. But the Christian life is a life of either moving away from the light and love of God expressed in Christ or moving toward that. And so that's what we're interested in doing. In the end, it is not you or me who judges who actually believes And who does not? You and I are called simply to believe Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to believe him with our mind, with our heart, and then to believe him in the way that we act. And then finally, it is to trust, not in our ability to believe, nor in our ability to love, but to trust what Jesus said from the very beginning here, that God loves the world. That's where my faith is, not in my ability to make a right decision, not in my ability to do the right thing. My faith is in the God who loves. That's the first pillar that I would offer to you this year upon which you can build a powerful, beautiful, meaningful Christian life of following Jesus. It is a pillar that is expressed most profoundly, even mysteriously, in the sacrament that we are about to enact.
God loved the world so much that he came here to be with us to offer his body and his blood so that we might be forgiven of sin, so that we might be nourished for a new life of loving others. Ministering in Jesus' name, I invite all of you to come to partake in this special meal. You need not be a member of this congregation You need only be one who wants to know Jesus and follow Jesus. We will receive the communion today by the ancient practice of intinction. You will be invited to come down to the front of the chancel to take a piece of the bread, to dip just the tip of it into the cup and to receive the communion and then to return to your seat by the outer aisle. Friends, these are the gifts of a loving God for God's people. Come. On the night of his betrayal, this man, Jesus, the one who, when baptized, came up out of the water and was declared by the Holy Spirit, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This man blessed, broke, and gave his disciples this bread and said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is the sign and seal of the new covenant given in my blood. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the saving death of the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. Come and receive.
Please pray with me. Eternal God and creator of the world and giver of all good, we thank you for the earth, our home, and for the gift of life. We praise you for your love in Jesus Christ who came to heal this broken world, who died rejected on the cross and rose triumphant from the dead because he lives. We live to praise you, our God forever. Gracious God who called us from death to life, we give ourselves to you. And with the church through all the ages, we thank you for your saving love in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. One of the things that I do about 800 times a day, every day, is to ask God to tell me what I'm supposed to say to you. <laughs> and that also includes, God, tell me what scripture passage you would have us focus on for this particular Sunday. And so yesterday, toward the end of my Saturday study time and before my early morning Sunday time, I asked God for some form of confirmation that he actually wanted me to preach on John 3.16. And so as I was looking up at the TV screen that's in front of my desk over the fireplace, all of a sudden a sign from God came from the heavens. As the football was being kicked through the goalpost, there was a person standing up holding the sign, right? John 3.16. What more could you ask for? There must be one person whose calling in life is to go to every football game and hold up that sign. God bless them. God bless them. John 3:16. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son that all who believe in him, all who believe him, all who follow him, 
all who love as he loved, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. It's very dangerous to summarize the entire meaning of the gospel in one scripture passage or in one bumper sticker. So I've given you the scripture passage. Let me give you the bumper sticker. It goes like this. It's God speaking. God says, you just love everyone and I'll sort them out at the end. (laughs) God alone is the judge. Thank God. He alone is the one who knows. All we need to do is go about the sometimes messy, sometimes hard, but always rewarding business of loving each other. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all today. Amen.